want to welcome you uh, to week two of our uh, sermon series where uh, we're looking at uh, the Christmas story, the spirit of Christmas from Christmas past, uh, Christmas future when Jesus returns, and Christmas present, how we live uh, right now. All right, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for Jesus and for his grace. And uh, as we turn our attention on uh, him and on your holy scriptures over the next few minutes, I just pray uh, that I would be completely out of your way and uh, that you would uh, communicate exactly uh, what you need to communicate to each individual this morning. Again, we thank you for Jesus, for his example. For his example. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. My family's probably a lot like yours, especially during a pandemic year. Uh, our family loves to watch Christmas specials. And uh, we love to watch Christmas movies. And uh, my kids are of an age, uh, nine and three, where there is one quality that we really look for in a Christmas movie and in a Christmas special, and that's clarity. Uh, The the storyline needs to be clear, and the plot specifically needs to be clear. And a lot of movies really provide that. A lot of Christmas movies do. The Santa Claus, right? The original Santa Claus falls off a roof, and Scott Calvin, played by Tim Allen, he puts on the Santa coat, initiating the Santa Claus, and he becomes the new Santa Claus for the ages. The Grinch. Uh, The Grinch hates Christmas with a passion. He hates it so much that he decides he's going to steal Christmas. And in the process of trying to steal Christmas, he learns that Christmas doesn't come in a box and that Christmas means maybe just a little bit more. And his heart ends up growing uh, three sizes that day as the result of it. Rudolph, he is born with a nose that shines bright red, uh, um, shines brightly, and he looks different. And because he looks different, he's made fun of and ends up running away. And in the end, he discovers that being different is not all bad, and he finds his place in Santa's sleigh. George Bailey, it's a wonderful life. Now, my family, uh, I would say we're split, but it's like two against one right now on whether or not this is a good movie. I think it's one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. Cheryl and Sam have no real use for it. Cheryl and Sam were running errands on Friday, so I pulled my three-year-old in, three-year-old in, and I looked her in the eye, and you said, you know daddy loves you, right? She's like, yeah, I said, you love daddy, right? I love daddy. Sit down and watch this movie with me. So I am trying to train a child in the way she should go, and uh, we'll just see what the result is. She made it through about a quarter of it and went on her way. But um, George Bailey was never really able to live out his dream of traveling the world. He ended up living in the same tired, sleepy town his entire life, and he ends up coming to the realization at the end of the movie that life with family and friends and a life of contribution is a life that makes a difference. Simple statements that tell the entire story. So let me ask you, as we kind of continue on, plot along in this series, why is it that Jesus came? Why is it that he left heaven and and came to earth? I'm reminded of a time where Jesus' disciples are kind of arguing about what position they are going to hold in the kingdom that he establishes, that they didn't understand the, the kingdom that Jesus was really establishing, and so they wanted to make sure they had a dominant and prominent place on his right and his left, and so they were arguing about that, and Jesus kind of pulls them all together, and he wants to seize an opportunity to teach them kind of what the meaning of life is and what's truly important in life, And here's what it says in uh, Matthew 20. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
This is one of the clearest statements about why Jesus came. And here, here it is in one sentence. He came to serve. He didn't come to be served, and he could have done that, all right? We're going to talk about that more in a minute. He, he could have done that. He didn't come to be served, but instead he came to serve. And you could point to a ton of examples about the ways in which Jesus came to serve. You could look at his birth, right? One of the most incredible acts of service of a human being ever was just the birth of Jesus Christ. Think about the eternal life that he had with the Father before his birth and how he left all that, a life of uh, perfection, no pain, no difficulty, no betrayal, no heartache. And Jesus left that heavenly place and he was born into, hum into humanity where he suffered through difficult relationships, betrayal and hardship. Why? Why would he do that? He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that leads me to the next example. It's his birth and then it's the cross. Another great example of his service that he saw the impact sin was having on humanity that, sin, that the impact sin was having on human beings. And he could have kind of waved a hand and say, hey, good luck with all that. Be better, you know, sin less. He could have done all that. But instead, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me put this on the screen for you. He became like us human beings so we could become like him, righteous. Merry Christmas. That, that is the gift of Christmas. He became like us, human so we could become like him, righteous. And those are two of the big examples of Jesus' life, his birth and his death that demonstrate how he came to serve. I wanna show you one additional example. It's, it's one of my favorites and it's right before Jesus goes to the cross and he's gonna share a meal uh, with his disciples before he goes to the cross and they're all gathered together and typically the way this would go is that you would enter into a room where a meal was being served and there would be a foot washing servant available to wash everybody's feet. So that's, that's kind of weird. Well, generally you would wear open sandals uh, throughout the life. It was dusty, it was dirty, there were animals running around. And so over the course of the day, you'd get a bunch of, for church, stuff. That's the church version, stuff all over your feet. And then they would serve the meal and you would be reclined at the meal. And so your gross, nasty feet would be in the face of the person next to you. And no good hostess would want to serve a meal like that with your kind of donkey poo, dusty feet, right? In the face of the person next to you. And so they would hire a servant who would come in and wash the feet of everybody that entered so that your beautiful, clean feet would be in the face of the person next to you. Well, for whatever reason, some people think maybe Jesus sent this person home or uh, maybe it was just an oversight and nobody ever hired this person. But for whatever reason, the servant wasn't there and the disciples are entering in and they're just kind of going to the table. Jesus hasn't arrived yet. And I picture this, the Bible doesn't say it, but I kind of picture the disciples are getting super irritated that there is no one there to wash their feet. And John's looking at Matthew's feet going, I'm not sitting by you, dude. And, you know, it's just, it's just getting kind of weird and nobody, uh, no servant ever shows up and all of a sudden Jesus enters the room. Very quietly, he walks over to a basin. He pours a bunch of water into it. He kneels down. And Jesus, your Messiah, begins to wash the feet of his disciples in an act of service. It is hard to describe how much stuff was on people's feet in that day, but Jesus one by one begins to wash the disciples' feet. The Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of my favorite texts, you know this text because you get it about six times a year. I like to work this text in the sermons, but allow me one more time. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we know from this text, we know from this text that this is true right now. That Jesus, post his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus is back into this exalted and glorious place. He is indeed on the throne. But it will be seen by everyone, the Bible says. Everyone will acknowledge his greatness. Everyone will acknowledge his glory. Everyone will acknowledge his majesty on the day he returns. It is true he is all of those things right now, but it is not true that everyone acknowledges it right now. But there will come a day where everyone will see him in his return, the Bible says with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth, he will return to earth and everybody on earth will acknowledge his greatness, his glory, and his majesty. So we know this text is true right now. But perhaps we, we can see the tension between these two ideas. I want to share with you a quote from uh, Ray Pritchard. And I love this quote so much and I thought about trying to paraphrase, but I'm just going to read it to you and it'll be on the screen for you. The first time Jesus came unnoticed into the world, the second time, every eye will see him. In his first coming, Jesus humbled himself, being born in a stable in Bethlehem. When he returns, he will come back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In his first coming, he endured the mockery of men who despised him for his goodness. Although he was the son of God, he allowed them to put him to death that he might thereby provide salvation to the world. When he comes again, all mockery will cease and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. He came the first time as the Lamb of God. He comes again as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. 2,000 years ago, the religious leader shouted in scorn, he saved others, he cannot save himself. The day is coming when the whole world will see Jesus as he really is. And when that happens, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see the contrast between these two comings, don't you, that we've been studying today. The first is where Jesus' identity is a little bit veiled. He's born quietly into the city of Bethlehem. He lived a quiet life up until the age of 30. And right before he's killed, we see this amazing story where the Son of God bends a knee and he serves the people around him. And then in Revelation, we see this other passage where the veil has been lifted and Jesus, uh, and Jesus is now seen by everyone for who he is, that he will be seen in his glory and his majesty and his perfection. And in that moment, it's not Jesus bending the knee to serve everybody. In that moment in Revelation, every other knee will bow. 
and every other tongue confesses that he is Jesus Christ the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here's my question. I'm gonna get to it in a minute, but let me walk you through how I got here. A lot of us in this room and a lot of us listening online, we know who Jesus is. We will see it fully when he returns, of course, but many of us have seen enough already to know. If you're a Christian, you know him. If you're a Christian, you know that he was with the Father before the creation of the world, that he didn't just happen into the, onto the scene 2,000 years ago. He's God the Son. If you're a Christian, you believe in his strength. You've seen his miracles in the, in the Gospels. You believe in his resurrection. If you're a Christian, you believe he is absolute truth, and so you listen to him, and you follow him, and you obey him. If you're a Christian, you know he's grace upon grace upon grace, and he forgives all sin. You know he's full of glory and power and honor, and you worship him. So here's my question. Why would he come to serve? Let me say it a different way. Doesn't cleaning donkey poo off his disciples' feet seem a little bit beneath him? Is it just me? Doesn't it seem beneath him? Doesn't going to the cross to pay for sins that he never committed, doesn't it seem unfair to him? Doesn't being born in a cave instead of a palace, it, it, it strikes me as too humble for him. It doesn't seem right. Why does he serve anyone? He deserves to be served. Imagine for a minute someone you consider to be very important. Maybe it's a politician a former president or leader, maybe it's an entertainer, a singer, an actor, an actress, maybe it's an author, a religious leader. Just imagine that person for a minute and then imagine that your car is trashed. Your car's just a mess. Uh, it might be hard for you to imagine. I have a nine-year-old and a three-year-old. It's every day for me, all right? So it's trashed inside and out. It's filthy and you know it needs to be cleaned out but you just haven't done it yet. It's one of those things that you say, I'll do it after COVID. And you decide to go to the grocery store one day and you're inside shopping for a while and you come out, and this is gonna require a lot of imagination, but just go with me. You come out and there's, let's say, President Bush or President Obama, not only cleaning the outside of your car, but vacuuming out the junk on the inside. Or, or you come out and you see John Bon Jovi cleaning out your car or Franklin Graham or whoever it is in your mind. What would that feeling be? Well, first of all, it would be to grab your camera and post a pic on social media. That would be your first reaction, obviously. But after that, there'd be embarrassment and maybe even a little shame. And you would do the same thing that I would do. You would insist that they stop. Why? Because they shouldn't be cleaning out your car. They shouldn't be serving you in that way. Their greatness excludes them from that job. I wanna show you a text, and then I wanna revisit a text that we've already looked at. This first text is right after Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Here's what he said. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. So Jesus, like, you recognize, they knew who he was. They don't need the second coming, they know. You call me teacher and you call me Lord, rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's revisit Paul. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. How does Jesus, we know who he is. Why on earth did he come to serve? Well, he came to accomplish a goal that required service. First of all, he he came to give his life and to lay it down so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have the relationship with God that we were created to have in this life and, and the next. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to accomplish a goal and to accomplish a mission that required him to serve. But it goes way beyond that. He came to set an example. I think Jesus would correct me on this sermon and I'm just going to assume that for a minute. I don't know this for sure, but I think Jesus would say to us this morning that cleaning, cleaning donkey poo off his disciples' feet was not beneath him. I think Jesus would say going to the cross was not beneath him. That serving others was not beneath him. And here's why I think we would say that, why he would say that. Jesus was the perfect example of what it means to be fully human. Remember, he was also fully God, but he was fully human. And so he teaches us what it looks like to be fully human, what humanity should look like, be like, how humanity should live. And he teaches us this truth, that best, life is best served. Uh, life is best lived when we serve. Jesus teaches what it means to be fully human is to serve others, that God has somehow wired that into our DNA for us to make a difference, to serve others, to make a contribution. And so Jesus is saying, when I, was, when I was kind of fully God and fully human in that, in that human realm for, the, for those 30 plus years, part of what it meant to be human is that I would come and I would serve and I would love and I would lay down my life in this way. And I think this can be hard for us to remember as Americans. I really do. Because one thing that is true of us as Americans is we uh, did not come to be served, we came to serve, <laughs> Right? Uh, in our country, we love to be served. A few weeks ago, we had the car all packed up, and we were trying desperately to get out of town. And we decided on our way out of town that we were going to stop, and we were going to buy uh, some breakfast sandwiches for the road to eat in the car on the way to our destination. And we stopped at a fast food re- restaurant, and I'm going to just be honest with you, it was taking forever to get the sandwiches. And just so you don't think this is a preacher kind of propping up a story, it was 25 minutes. I timed it, I know, all right? It was 25 minutes, and we were sitting there, kind of, they had done that thing, just pull ahead here, we'll bring it out to you when it's ready, and it's like, I mean, are you, like, going out to the hen house to get the eggs? What on earth is going on? And and I just kind of quietly said to Cheryl, you know, she was sitting next to me, quietly said to Cheryl, I'm not sure they should be calling this fast food. And we both kind of chuckled, just like you did, and from the back seat of the car, my nine-year-old said, yeah, yeah. Why do they call it fast food when it's taking forever? And immediately I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I'd set that example for him. The truth is, embedded in our culture, we have a desire to be served and to be served fast. And when our internet is slow and our service isn't great and we have to wait in line, it really, really bugs us. Jesus came to serve It's one of the points of Christmas. 
He came to serve. And he teaches us that you want to embrace your humanity. You want to live a fully human life to the, to the best, to the, in the best possible way. The way that you do that is by being like Jesus. You serve the way he served. This goes on to the last point is he served to give us a mission. I want you to think for a few minutes about all the things that Jesus said. All right? And I'm not going to read all of them because that would take forever. But I want to just kind of recap a bunch of Jesus' teachings about the mission that he gave us when it comes to service. He said, do your good deeds in secret. Whoever wants to be great must become the servant. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Blessed are the merciful. Give and it shall be given to you. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Give a cup of cold water. Feed the hungry. Care for the sick. Visit those in prison. Invite to your home uh, for dinner the poor, the crippled, the blind, those who can't repay you. Wash one another's feet. Welcome, little children. Love your enemies. Bless those who insult you. Pray for those who persecute you. Give away your coat. Go the extra mile and do unto the least of these as you would have done unto me. And we are just in a season right now where what you and I want might be really present on our mind. And for some of us, we're developing our lists of wants and desires, but we are reminded it is important that we serve. Life is best lived. Humanity is best embraced when we are serving, not being served. I love it when every once in a while you kind of read one of these things where science catches up to faith and uh, I was reminded of that, that back in 1943, Abraham Maslow wrote a paper called The Theory of Human Motivation. And in this paper, 1943, he theorized that human beings are driven by five basic needs. And uh, this was eventually developed into his hierarchy of needs or his pyramid of needs, however you, you saw that. And he said there are five basic needs that we all have as human beings, that you have physical needs that you have needs for food, air, water, and shelter. If any of those go away, you get super stressed. Right? We have t safety needs, that we have a need to feel secure and to have our health. And, and this is why COVID's been so difficult for a lot of us, is that this kind of core need that we have for safety has been threatened recently, and that's why the pandemic has been such a big deal. A lot of us don't feel safe. We have love needs. We have a need to love others well and to be loved by others. Friendship, connection, and intimacy. You have esteem needs, that, that you value esteem and recognition, and this is why the job that you had where your boss wouldn't recognize your gift or your talents, that ended up being a dead-end job for you, because everybody wants to be esteemed. And then the last need is self-actualization. This is the highest need on the pyramid. It's that we all have this desire placed inside of us to be the best version of ourselves that we can be, to self-actualize, to achieve our full potential. I grew up with this teaching. Uh, my dad, when I was very, very young, my dad kind of fell in love. You guys ever heard of Zig Ziglar, the motivational speaker? I, my dad fell in love with Zig Ziglar, and so I've been to a bunch of conferences uh, where Zig would speak, and Zig's message was really, really clear. It was, man, be the you God created you to be, self-actualization. Use your gifts and your talents to be successful in business and life and parenting. And Zig loved to talk about self-actualization, about being the best you you can be. And for years, everybody thought these were the five needs that every human being had. In the last several years, people studying human nature, scientists, have realized that there's one more human need that was missed. And it is the highest need that we have that you can, that you can give your life to. And, and here's what it's called transcendent needs. It's the top one of the pyramid, and it's your need, and every human being has it, 
to give to something beyond yourself. Transcendent needs. It's the need that you have to give, to contribute, to make a difference in the life of someone that's not you, a cause that affects someone beyond your family. God has hardwired this into you. Jesus has hardwired this into you. You have transcendent needs to live beyond yourself, to live for others, to serve others, not to, come, not to walk into every room with a desire to be served, but to enter every room with a desire to serve and to give your life, to sacrifice your life for other people. And I think we're in a season where a lot of our needs have felt threatened. And so those needs have become a priority. Needs for work and safety and health. But let's not forget we have this need as well. We have transcendent needs to give and contribute and to serve, to live beyond ourselves, to live for other people, to serve them and meet their needs. And Jesus shows us the power of a life that serves. So here's the deal. You've been, this is a, a walk in the park sermon that I've asked you to just kind of walk through several ideas with me. We've been weaving in and out. I want to tell you uh, right at the end here, this is not a sermon where I tell you what to do. Admittedly, sometimes I do do that. <laughs> um, and if my son were here, he'd be laughing. Dad just said do-do. All right, so um, this is not a sermon where I tell you what to do. This is a sermon where I want the Holy Spirit to tell you what to do that you are hardwired to serve. I know this is 100% true, that Jesus, although we see in his, uh, in his return, his greatness, his majesty, his power, his glory, although we see that in, in humanity he came to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he, he, is show, he did that to set us an example of what we should do. And so right now I wanna give the Holy Spirit space to tell you, in the middle of a pandemic in your current situation, how can you serve? Is there a person's face that comes to mind? Is there a card that needs to be written, a donation that needs to be made, a way that you can serve somebody else? I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit does. And this isn't a sermon where I'm going to tell you what to do. This is a sermon where I want the Holy Spirit to tell you what to do. And so I, I want to pray, and then we're going to receive communion together, but I want to pray first. We're going to focus on the, the number one service thing that Jesus did to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm gonna pray and leave a little bit of time of quiet for you to ask the Holy Spirit, how can I meet my transcendent needs today? How can I live beyond myself? Who do you want me to serve? The Spirit has someone that he wants you to serve. And so I'm gonna leave a little bit of time for you to just pray, and then we'll come back together after a little bit of time and we'll receive communion together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his, for his example of service that he shows us what it means to be fully human. And that you have put inside of us transcendent needs to live beyond ourselves, to serve, to make a difference. And you've got somebody for every person listening to this, watching it, and hearing the sound of my voice. You've got someone you want us to serve. So right now I'm just gonna leave a little bit of time of quiet for us to pray and listen. Lord, who do you want us to serve this week like Jesus? Jesus, again, we thank you for your example. 
we thank you for pointing us in the right direction. And I just pray that we would respond and we would make a phone call or send a text or write a note or make a contribution, whatever, whatever you, however you want us to serve. We, we want to be like Jesus in this way. We want to be fully human in this way, serving others and making a difference with our life. We thank you for the example of our Lord and Savior. It is in his name we pray. Amen. His body given for you as an example. His blood poured out. He sets the example for us about what it means to be human and what it looks, to, what it looks like to live a fully human life. May we follow his example. May we love and serve the people around us. May we find creative ways to do it in the middle of a pandemic. And may we love and serve well. God bless and have a great week.